0: Thank you, guys. If you have a copy of God's Word, please take it and turn to Proverbs chapter 23. Can you give me that stand? Proverbs 23. I'm excited to continue our journey through the book of Proverbs. The first three weeks, we've been laying a foundation. We've talked about what wisdom is. We've talked about the source of wisdom. We've even talked about the challenge that we face when we try to live wisely In this world. For the rest of our time this summer, I'm going to be applying the foundation that we discussed in the first three sermons, first three messages, to various topics the book of Proverbs addresses. So we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about emotional health. We're going to talk about marriage and parenting and finances. But today, I thought we'd start with a bang. As you can see in the screen behind me, we're going to talk about alcohol and what the Bible has to say about alcohol, and we're going to actually broaden that out to substance abuse and the idea of escapism in general. Here's what I want you to do, because there's right about now a point where some of you are beginning to check out on me. You're thinking, I don't have a problem with alcohol. I don't even have a problem with substance abuse. Let me grab one of these prayer cards and start making my grocery list, okay? Don't do that. I do, however, want you to grab a prayer card. So would you all grab one of these cards like this? Every man, woman, child. If you're on the very front row, Bussie's behind you there, grab a card or two. We'll be there for you. Because what I want you to do is I want you, through the course of this message, to identify a particular struggle you have with the issues we're going to talk about in this message. For some of you, it very well may be a problem with alcohol that this passage is going to put its finger on. For others of you, it might be some form of substance abuse that you need to get honest with before the Lord and with yourself. But for every single person in this room, I want you to know there's a particular application that this passage is going to have for you this morning. And so what I want you to do is I want you to have your Bible open in your lap. I want you to have this card next to you right there with your Bible. And as the passage goes on, I'm going to unpack for us what this passage says, not only about alcohol, not only about substance abuse, but also about how we try to escape from our problems in an unhealthy way. So I want you to stay engaged right from the beginning because we believe Where God's word is speaking, we are listening and obeying. With that in mind, would you please stand to your feet with me as we honor the reading of God's word, Proverbs chapter 23. We're going to take this in two sections. We're going to read verses 19 through 21 first, and then we're going to skip down to read verses 29 through 35. Listen to Proverbs chapter 23, verse 19. This is the word of the Lord. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Skip down to verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes. Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. This is God's word to us. This is his holy, infallible, and an errant word to us. Would you pray with me, church? Father, in these moments, we pray that your word would speak to us clearly, and we pray that you would open our minds to hear what you have to say to us, Father. And that, Lord, as you speak to us, that we would not just be hearers of your word, would you help us to also be doers of your word as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want to start by looking at verse 29. Because in these first three verses of 29 through 31, we see uh, the writer of Proverbs alerting us to an incredible danger we need to watch. Look at verse 29. He says, Who has woe? Then he says, sorrow, strife, complaining wounds without cause, and redness of eyes. And then he answers his questions. He says, the the one that's experiencing this trouble are those, verse 30, who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Then he gives a command, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. The writer of Proverbs wants us to understand that there is an incredible danger that comes along with consumption of alcohol. He wants us to understand that there should not be in our hearts a treasuring or a longing after this substance because of the danger that's associated with it. When you take what he's saying in these first three verses, and especially the word drunkard in verse 20, which we read previously, what you realize is the writer of Proverbs is warning against drunkenness. He's warning and saying you should steer clear of consuming alcohol to the point of drunkenness. Now when the Bible discusses drunkenness, it doesn't do so in our 2017 American terms. When we think about drunkenness, we typically think about a blood alcohol level, or a number of drinks someone can drink. Or can't have. But the Bible's conception of drunkenness is actually different. It conceives of drunkenness as an effect that it has on a person. Drunkenness in biblical terms is a significant change in your mental, emotional, or physical state. We know, biblically speaking, someone's drunk when alcohol, or some other substance for that matter, impacts them in an unduly way mentally, emotionally, or physically. This is really important because different people react in different ways to alcohol. What does make one person drunk may not make another person. The way some people respond to alcohol is going to be different than the way other people respond. Some people, when they're drunk, they're happy. They've never met a stranger. Everybody's their friend. There are other people, however, who are depressed, who are discouraged when they consume too much alcohol. It is wrong to call the happy person not drunk and the sad person drunk. They're both being affected and impacted by consuming alcohol to the point that it's changing who they are. Biblically speaking, that is what drunkenness is. Now, in this passage, the writer of Proverbs here goes on to give you four quick reasons why it's so dangerous. I'm going to give these to you very quickly. The first is that the reason alcohol is dangerous and to be avoided is because it destroys people's lives. Look at verse 32. He says, In the end, it, this is wine and by extension alcohol, bites like a serpent, and stings like an adder. These two words, adder and serpent, reference poisonous snakes, deadly animals, that if they bite you, and you don't get medical attention, you will die. In the same way, the writer of Proverbs wants us to understand that if alcohol is not handled carefully, it can destroy you not just at a physical standpoint, many of us know people who've died because of alcoholism or their liver has been destroyed, but also there's a spiritual component to this. It can, it can so warp the way you view the world. It can so destroy the, the relationships that you have with others that it causes you this kind of pain that the Bible's talking about. The second thing that it tells us is that alcohol is also dangerous because it causes deception. Look at verse 33 in your Bibles. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. Alcohol can cause you to see things that aren't there. It can cause you to become paranoid and perceive things mentally that aren't really happening. Alcohol has a way of blinding you from the effects that it's having on your life. I don't know any person that's an alcoholic or a drug addict that took their first drink thinking I'm going to become an alcoholic. I don't know anybody that took their first drug thinking I'm going to become addicted to this substance. There's a deceptive quality to it that blinds us from the effect it's having on us. Why is alcohol so dangerous? Number two, because it deceives us. Number three, this passage says it also disorients us. Look at verse 34. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. Alcohol has a very disorienting effect on people. That's very obvious to watch if someone's drunk. The way they walk, they stagger. But this is deeper. It's talking about the impact it actually has on someone's life. Imagine going down to the Grand Glaze Bridge this weekend and bringing your inflatable raft. And you decide, for whatever reason, that you're going to go take a nap on your raft in the water under the Grand Glaze Bridge. How many of you think you would survive that outing? No, you wouldn't, because some of you vacationers would try to jump your wave runner over that person while they're laying on the water, right? It's very unstable there. The water's choppy. It's always moving. Alcohol has that effect on us. It destabilizes things. He even says it's like sleeping on top of a ship that's on the water. It's very destabilizing. Third thing it does is it disorients us. Fourth and finally, it also dominates us. It dominates us. It enslaves us. Look at verse 35. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? Notice the last line, I must have another drink. One of the reasons alcohol is so dangerous is that it can enslave us into needing it as an escape. He talks about a person who's being harmed and not really knowing what's going on, but when they wake up, even though they're kind of unalert, they're unaware of what's really happened, they just say, well, I've got to go and get another drink. There's an enslavement that we have to be careful that alcohol doesn't pull us into. Here's the point I want you to see from these dangers and the command and the admonition that's given here. The reason alcohol is so dangerous, and the reason substance abuse is so dangerous in general, is because it it forms an escape from reality. The reason I believe this passage of Scripture is warning challenging us to be careful with not only alcohol, but also, if you noticed in your Bibles, in verse 20, he talked about gluttonous eaters of meat. That's any kind of substance abuse. It's dangerous because it's an attempt to escape from the reality and the problems that I'm confronting. One of our family's favorite movies are the Lord of the Rings movies. Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? Anybody? In the second movie of the the trilogy there, it's called The Two Towers. At the beginning of the second movie, the forces of evil are growing. Sauron, the evil kind of leader at the time, is is growing these armies, and they're pillaging and plundering all over Middle-earth. They're destroying everything in their path. But one of the great obstacles to the forces of evil in the Lord of the Rings trilogy is the race of men, human beings form a kind of separate race that are opposed to the forces of evil. And there's a key moment where one of the kings from the race of men, King Theoden, has to decide what he's going to do. His people's homes are being destroyed. Their lives are being taken in some places. And his counselors are challenging him. He says, Theoden, we've, we've got to stand and fight. We can't sit back and just let these, thing, let these guys take over. We've got to fight against them. And in one of the more pivotal moments of the movie, Phaedon says, no, we're going to retreat to the fortress we've created called Helm's Deep. So if you know the movie, Phaedon takes his forces on this long, arduous journey in which they're attacked, but they finally make it to Helm's Deep, and they're inside this fortress, they're protected. But no sooner do they arrive in this fortress... Then do 10,000 of the opposing army show up at their doorstep? And if you've not seen the movie, it's your fault by now. So here's a spoiler alert. It's, it's, it's pretty old. So if you've not seen it, you can't be mad at me and send me a nasty email. But here's what happens. After defending Helm's Deep for quite some time, finally, at the last minute, an army shows up defending Theoden King and defeating the enemy before him. Incredible movie, incredible story. Here's why I tell it to you. All of us have a helm's deep in our lives. All of us have a place we go for refuge and protection when life gets tough. There is for all of us in our hearts a place we go when we are overwhelmed with a lot with life's challenges sometimes we go there on a daily basis can i just say one of the reasons i think alcohol and substances are abused in our culture is because life is really really hard we are constantly bombarded with circumstances we can't control that impact us in great and significant ways Some of us have unresolved problems and conflict that at times can go on for years. And if those outward pressures weren't enough, many of us also feel this inward anxiety and discouragement about how these outward things are impacting us and our families. The point is that life can be very overwhelming. And when we're overwhelmed, just like King Theoden, there's a place we run to for protection And refuge. Now, here's the really good news for you and for me. The Bible tells us that for those of us that know Jesus as Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ is our refuge. Jesus is the place we can run to for protection and care. Keep your finger in Proverbs 23. Flip over to Psalm 18 very quickly. I'm going to show you this from God's word. Psalm 18, verse two. Psalm chapter 18, verse two, we read these words. The Bible says the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Jesus Christ is the place we can go for protection and care. What that means is that when I'm overwhelmed from pressures without and anxiousness and worry from within, the place I go should not first be to alcohol, should not first be to some substance like food to escape from my problems. The first place I go is to lay my burdens at the feet of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can really sustainably bear the burden of my fears and struggles. Jesus is the refuge I've got to go to. But here's the problem. What this passage tells us is that many of us are tempted to form alternate forms of refuge in our lives. What this passage tells us is that many of us are tempted to find other ways to escape from the problems that we're dealing with. Let me tell you one of my escapes. When I'm discouraged as a pastor, when I'm kind of down about how things are going at the church, there are times when I'm tempted to dream about somebody walking in and handing the church $10 million dollars. I'm just, I'm bearing my soul here. And what I dream about is what we would be able to do as a church with unlimited resources. What we would be able to build and ministries we'd be able to start and, and churches we'd plant and missions that things that we would do. And I begin to get my mind going in 55 different directions. So, why sometimes Shelly has to get on to me for taking. 45-minute showers, right, because I'll draw it all out in the window in the shower there of what I would do with that. And for a season, I thought, well, this is okay. I'm kind of dreaming and, and kind of just kind of putting it out there of what I'd like to see happen. But do you know what I realized? I realized that what I was doing was dreaming about this alternate reality to avoid dealing with the problems that were in front of me. You see, one of the ways you can know if something's a healthy hobby versus an alternate form of refuge is does it empower you once you're finished with that hobby, if it's fishing or collecting bottle caps or whatever it is that you do, does it bring you back refreshed, ready to tackle the problems that are in front of you by God's grace? What you and I need to know is that all of us are tempted to find an alternate form of escape. This is why I believe Martin Luther, when he was starting the Reformation, he penned a song in his process of birthing this Reformation of which we are descendants. And one of the songs that Luther wrote was called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. And in the song, he uses a word we don't really use anymore, He calls God a bulwark, never failing. And I have to believe that Luther had Psalm 18 in mind because what he's saying is, none of those other forms of escape can protect me. None of those other forms of refuge can deal with the problems of my soul. Only Jesus is this wall, this shield that will never fail me. Only Jesus Christ can bear my burdens because he's walked where I've walked. Jesus, as fully God and fully man, has walked this earth. He's borne the burden of being human and died in our place. So I want to ask you a question What is your escape? What's the thing that you run to for refuge and protection? For some of you, it may well be alcohol. This passage gives stern warning to the dangers of alcohol. Some of you, it may be what this passage says. It's it's a problem for you. You're, You're abusing that because rather than dealing with your problems... Rather than handing them over to Jesus Christ, you're trying to drown your problems. You're trying to numb yourself out from thinking about the issues and difficulties you face in this life. For others of you, it might be your job. You know that your job can be an unhealthy form of refuge and escape for you. That's the reason some of you are workaholics, you work so much is because you don't want to think about or deal with some of the problems that are in your life. You don't want to hand those over to Christ. You just want to bury yourself in your work so you don't have to think about it anymore. Some of us, we need to get honest. Some of us, it might even be food. I know there's the joke about kind of drowning your sorrows in chocolate ice cream. (laughs) And some of you may feel inclined to do that. Nothing wrong with enjoying some of the things God has given us and food is one of those but when it becomes an escape when it becomes a form of refuge that I run to to avoid and disconnect and numb myself from my problems I'm replacing what I should be giving to Jesus with something else On the other end of the pers- on the other end of the spectrum especially for the younger people in the room I even find that sometimes exercise is an unhealthy escape I would highly recommend exercise as a way to relieve stress. But there is a vanity that millennials have to get honest about, 20s and 30-somethings. We've got to get honest about the vanity that is often associated with exercise and working out. That it becomes something about me. It becomes something about me posting things on Facebook. It becomes this kind of self-absorbed thing that I use as an alternate reality to escape. Speaking of alternate realities, some of us actually may be video games. Video games form for generations of people an alternate reality you can go into and control and disconnect from the world. This is a problem. Some of us have to get honest that that's an unhealthy form of escape. For some of you this morning, it might be pornography. It might be an addiction to internet pornography that's driven by a desire to escape. In a world you create and you control, and you get whatever you want. Here's what I want you to know. The reason I said this applies to all of you is because one way or another, whether I listed you on this list that I just gave you, you have a form of escape you're running to. Here's what I want you to know. The reason we want you to write this on this card and in a few moments lay it at the altar is because the first step in dealing with these and making Jesus your refuge is getting honest about those, repenting of those, turning away from those. And so our prayer is, as you reflect a little bit more on what is that form of escape, what's that refuge I'm replacing Jesus with in my life, is that you be able to see clearly that this thing can't save you, can't deliver you. Only Jesus Christ can. And this is the point I want to make to you. And this is what I want you to take home with you today. If there's nothing else you hear me say, please hear me say this. Jesus Christ is the only refuge we will ever need. Jesus is all the refuge from anxiousness, worry, fear, stress, discouragement. Jesus is where we've got to go as we pray before him, pleading our heart, laying our hearts before him, as we come to him in his word, we come before him to say, Jesus, we need you. We need you every single day that Jesus is our refuge. I want to close by giving you three reasons why Jesus is, only the re- is all the refuge you will ever need. Number one, I want to show you from the word of God that Jesus is your refuge because Jesus provides us With a family. Look in your Bibles at verse 19. Look at verse 19. He says, Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your hearts in the way. Notice this phrase be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. The admonition that this father is giving to his proverbial son is to stay away from close intimate interaction with those that are going to abuse. Specifically here, he says alcohol, but notice what he also says. He also says food. Now, we can get really focused on alcohol, and we will go there in a few more moments as we talk about this, but let's not forget that food can just as much be something we abuse in our lives as as an alternate form of escape. The principle that's underneath the surface here is who you spend time with will directly rub off and influence you. Who you're around will directly impact the way you live your life in ways that you can't even imagine sometimes or recognize. I remember when I was in college, I worked at a place that sold parts for three and four wheelers. And some of the guys that I worked with were really good with cars, incredibly gifted with uh, just working in vehicles, modifications that they needed to make. And so when, after one day at work, we all went to one of the guys' house, and he was working on my car. And he was helping me with some things I needed done on, on the Explorer I was driving at the time. And as the night wore on, more and more of us friends came over, and the more and more kind of crazy it got. They were drinking, and, and drinking pretty hard, and kind of having what they thought was a good time. And as the evening was wrapping up, the guy that had been working in my car now about 40 beers in staggers over to me and he says, I noticed uh, that you didn't drink anything tonight. And I said, no, I'm I'm only 20 years old. And and plus, I I just don't think that's something I want to engage in. He said, that's okay. He said, I used to be just like you. I would come to these things and watch everybody else get crazy drunk and just kind of laugh in the background. But then after coming for a few times, finally, I just said, hey, give me one of those. And then I've never looked back. And it was like in that moment, it hit me. If I keep spending time with these people, that's going to rub off on me. It wasn't that I stopped sharing the gospel with them at work. It wasn't that I stopped witnessing to them and encouraging them and praying for them. It's that I had to recognize how human beings are wired. We are wired as relational beings to rub off on one another. And part of the warning that he's giving here is to avoid not all contact with people who engage in this, but especially a specific type of contact. He's saying be careful. And what we need to recognize is what the Bible teaches is not that you need no relationships. The Bible is not teaching that you're to wall yourself up in your house and run away from people if they try to talk to you. The Bible is teaching that we should be pressing in to the family that God provides for us. When you become a follower of Jesus, God doesn't just save you from your sin. He saves you for a new life. And the new life Jesus saves you for is meant to be lived with other brothers and sisters in Christ who are walking with you along the way. You need Christian community. Well, I I don't know where I can find that. How could I find that kind of Christian community? I'm really glad you asked that. At 9.30, every Sunday morning, right here in this church, we create a space for people to connect relationally with one another. I know many of you are not from here, so you're thinking, what good does that do me? If you're in another community where there's a church and they have a small group structure, plug into that. Connect with other people, not just on Sunday morning, but connect with them throughout the week. If if I was a middle school math teacher, I would look at some of us and say, Some of us need to find some new friends because some of the challenge we're facing with substance abuse is because we're getting so close to people who are living this kind of lifestyle as a normal way of operating in their life. My point is this. Proverbs is saying part of the reason Jesus is the only refuge we can run to is because in Jesus, he's given us a provision for real community. Let me just say one more word about this, and then I'll move on. This is why parents We want to create environments in our homes where our children want to bring their friends. This is why as parents, Shelly and I have it as a goal to make our home a place where our kids want to bring their friends because here's the deal, guys. Your kids are going to connect with somebody. The question is not whether they're relationally going to connect with other people. The question is, are they relationally going to connect with the right people? Believe it or not, you have a role as a parent in that process. Because if our homes are discouraging, rule-laden places that are burdensome, that our kids never want to come to, never want to bring their friends to, please understand we're communicating to them about the gospel. We're communicating to them about the nature of Christian community. And if their assumption is, if I'm going to have fun, I go hang out with people who drink and party, because home is a bore and really discouraging and depressing, we're communicating to something to them very, very powerful. What this passage tells us is that we shouldn't just stop hanging out with the wrong people. It tells us that we should be replacing with what God's given us, the spiritual family he provides. Number two. Second reason why Jesus is the refuge we need above all others is because Jesus exposes the futility of other forms of escape. Jesus exposes the fact that no other escape works but Him. Look back at your Bibles in verse 19 again. It says, Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or even among gluttonous eaters of meat. Now, notice verse 21. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. So here's what Jesus is saying. Part of the reason other forms of refuge are futile is because what he says here, they don't work. You bring your burdens and your stresses and your fear to alcohol. You bring your burdens and your stresses to food. When you finish eating and you finish drinking, you still have problems. And you're no better off than you were than you started. In fact, in many cases, those things that we run to for refuge actually end up hurting us and making the problem worse. Here's my concern. My concern is that you and I would be careless with things the Bible calls dangerous. My concern especially for Lake of the Ozarks and those of us that live here, those of you that are vacationing here, I did not choose this message on accident for Memorial Day weekend. My concern is that some of us who claim Jesus as our Savior might be careless with things the Bible says are dangerous. Let me illustrate that for you. Texas A&M University is a large school in College Station, Texas. If you know anything about Texas A&M, it has kind of a cult-like dimension to it. If you've ever been to Texas, if you say Texas A&M Aggies and there are Aggies in the room, they all make noises. It's bizarre. In fact, if some of them are watching this online, they're probably whooping in their rooms at home. I mean, it's just crazy place. But one of the distinctive elements about Texas A&M is every year they would make this massive bonfire before they would play the University of Texas. This bonfire was so massive, it was sometimes 50 feet tall, 40 feet wide, and you could see it from 25 miles away. Well, tragically in 1999, as they were constructing this massive bonfire, Some of the construction that was put together was faulty and the bonfire as it was being lit fell over and killed a number of people. Now we can all look at that and say that was a dangerous situation. There was probably alcohol involved. There was probably some carelessness on the part of the people that were building it and it cost them their lives. Here's my concern. My concern is that in the same way some of us maybe handling with carelessness things like alcohol that the Bible says are very dangerous. I'm stepping on toes here, so let me just go ahead and make everybody mad, okay? That's kind of a pastime of mine. Um, There's a generational group in this room that may have been raised to think if you drink alcohol, that is sin. If you touch it, if it comes to your lips, that is sinful and evil and wrong. And I want you to know that you're wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. You cannot make a case for any consumption of alcohol being sin. You're wrong. One group mad. Let me make another group mad. There's a group of us that are younger that have responded to that and said, that's legalism, That's wrong. We have Christian liberty and freedom in Christ. We're going to exercise our liberty. And I have friends who are not just exercising their liberty, they are exercising their liberty. They are abusing it in the name of Christian freedom. Both of these are wrong. Legalism is wrong, but a freedom that leads to carelessness is wrong as well. Let me just lay my cards on the table. I've never had a drink. I never planned to. And it's not because I haven't had opportunity. It's not because I'm better than any of you that have decided to go through, to, to, uh, to uh, consume alcohol. It's not because I'm better than any of you guys. Part of it's because at a very young age, I was told by my parents, um, your great-grandfather was an alcoholic. He died when he was 53. If you mess around with this, you could be in the same boat. But as I've gotten older, I've had opportunity. Here's what I have learned to do in my life when I think about the dangers of alcohol, especially alcohol. The question I've had to wrestle with in my heart is simply this. Do the benefits that I'm going to gain from consuming the substance outweigh the dangers associated with it? Do the benefits that I gain even, and you can apply this to a lot of things, Even eating one more brownie. Going through the potluck line one more time. Because it doesn't just say alcohol, it says food as well. Do the benefits that I gain in my walk with Jesus, that I accrue from engaging in this activity, outweigh the dangers associated with it? And here's what I've had to come to terms with in my life. I cannot answer that question in the affirmative. So I've chosen to abstain. Some of you who are followers of Jesus will answer that question differently, and you'll conclude that you can. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ if we disagree about that, we can still be unified in the gospel. But here's my concern. My concern is that some of you may be partaking in this activity without this question ever rolling around in your mind. That's my concern. Am I consciously thinking with food, any kind of drug, alcohol, these dangerous substances, am I considering, do the benefits outweigh the dangers? My concern as your pastor, especially in this community where it's ubiquitous, is that we have a clear sense of the dangers that are presented to us. So, why is Jesus my only form of refuge that I need? Is because Jesus exposes the fact that other forms of refuge actually don't work. Thirdly and finally, Jesus is the only refuge we need because only Jesus can satisfy our hearts. Look in your Bibles at verse 19 again. He says, hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way. The heart is the seat of what I trust the most. Biblically speaking, the heart is this place where I'm treasuring something above all of the things. And he says here specifically that we're to treasure the way. Now, I believe he's talking about the fear of the Lord treasuring Jesus above all of the things. Here's the point I want to make to you. Part of the reason alcohol and substance abuse is so dangerous is because my heart wants to find an escape that I create and control. Your heart is longing to worship something or someone. And the way that, uh, that manifests itself in our lives frequently is by finding these alternate forms of escape and refuge. But here's what I want you to know. The reason Jesus is the only refuge you can really trust is because Jesus Christ is the only one that can satisfy this longing in your heart. Jesus Christ is the only one who died for you he lived a perfect life and he died for our lying, our stealing, our disobeying, our parents, our lust, our hatred, all these things that we struggle with, those sent Jesus to the cross because there's a penalty that came with those things. And the penalty that you and I should have earned is death, a death that Jesus took himself. And then after taking, Jesus didn't just take the penalty for us. He defeated his pen, the penalty that we deserve. And he rose again on the third day to say to you, You don't have to go looking for all these other forms of refuge and escape. Jesus Christ is the one who can bear the burdens of our lives. Jesus Christ is the one who can even heal us from the seasons of life we've abused alcohol or food or other forms of escape. Jesus Christ is the only one we can turn to for refuge an escape. And my question to you is, are you at a place in your life where you can clearly see where you've been trying to find an escape that has not been working? We have no illusion that filling out this card is somehow going to magically make your problems go away and you're just going to flip a switch. But here's what I want you to know about this card. Every single card in a few moments that's laid at this altar will be prayed for personally and by name. We will pray down the heavens on you and your life. We will pray for God's grace to bring healing and restoration and freedom in your life. We will pray that God miraculously begins to undo these unhealthy patterns of escape and refuge that we've been running to. Some of you, if you'll notice carefully on this card, there's a place where you can even check that you'd like a pastor to follow up with you. There's a place where some of you may need to get this morning where you're saying, I don't just need to lay this at the altar. I need someone to help me. This church is not a perfect place, but we, if you are willing, will walk with you through the pain and challenge that has come with finding alternate forms of escape. My prayer for us simply is this, that we would recognize that while we may look for other forms of escape and refuge, Jesus Christ is the only one we can trust. Would you pray with me, church? Father God, we thank you that your word clearly tells us that Jesus Christ is our refuge and our hope. God, and I pray for people here this morning who may be looking for other forms of escape, other forms of refuge that they're running to. I pray that you would impress upon their hearts that Jesus Christ is the only one with whom they can really bear their burden.